Father, as we gather here around your word now in these moments, we think of uh, Pastor Andy and the team downstairs uh, leading our children. We pray that you would do a powerful thing among them this morning. Would you guide his thoughts and words, and together would you feed into their young hearts and lives a truth that will take hold and bear fruit for eternity. Father, we think of uh, Steve Twynham preaching at Grace Baptist this morning in Windsor. We pray that you would guide his thoughts and words, and together may they be aware of your, your presence there and your work among them. And as we gather around your word now, we, we began our service by singing that today we choose to hear your voice. Today I choose to hear your voice. Please help us not to miss what you have for us today. Speak clearly, speak directly to our hearts, and help us to respond in a way that brings you the most honor and the most glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been asked a question, and immediately before you even answer, you just have something inside you that says, I wonder why they asked me that? Have you been there? Whoa. Like, how many husbands are here? Okay. All right. Are you tuning in? Right? Somebody asks you a question and you say, where's that coming from? Sometimes it's because it's coming from out in left field. It's totally unrelated to what we've been talking about. And you're saying, is this going to connect down the road or not? And how does it do that? Uh, other, maybe they ask you a question and as you begin to answer it, they start talking to someone else. And you say, well, just a minute. Why did they bother asking? And so you have those questions. It's interesting the motives behind questions, isn't it? And sometimes people will ask you something and you're wondering, hmm, I wonder what's really going on. Did they ask me that simply so they had an opportunity to make a point? Did they ask me that so that they could try and put me in a corner and cause some kind of controversy? Did they really want to show me and the others with us in this moment what they know and how much greater and smarter they are? Is that why they asked the question? You see, when we ask a question or when we are asked a question, the heart of the question is the question of the heart behind it, right? Why is this? It's not just what are we asking, but why are we asking these things? Well, this morning on our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we come to chapter 19 and we find two questions that people ask Jesus tough questions, hard questions. They come and they ask Jesus these two questions for different reasons. And we want to look at how Jesus handled that. And we want to learn a few things. Because these, these two questions are still being asked today. And you might find yourself even this week in a corner where somebody's asking you one of these questions. So let's, let's find out what's going on as Jesus is asked hard questions and he simply gives honest answers. So we'll begin in Matthew 19 and we'll read the first 12 verses. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, 
Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been made, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So Jesus and his disciples, they make their way across the Jordan. The Pharisees have followed, and they gather around him, and they come to him with this question. And in this particular moment, what they are doing is they are trying to stir things up and create controversy. And so they come with this question, and we know that because we're told why they asked it. Verse 3 tells us they were testing him. It wasn't just a quiz to see if Jesus knew as much as they did. They were testing him to see what his answer would be. This question then of, of divorce and divorce for any reason and this kind of thing would create controversy, divide his followers, and in turn make Jesus look bad, at least to a few. And that would serve their purposes if they could start to whittle away his following. And so if we can stir this up, ask him a highly controversial question, then at least a portion of people are going to be offended by his answer. And so that will serve what we're here to do. And so they come to Jesus and they say, is it true that we can divorce our wives for any reason, for any cause? And the reason they're asking this is because that's what was going on. That's what was going on. And divorce was an emotional and controversial issue as it continues to be to this very day. There are many who study the history of that time period who tell us that the Pharisees were engaged in this as well. And so they themselves were, were a part of this whole process. And so they asked this hard question, this difficult question, this controversial question to stir up trouble. And they asked Jesus publicly so that they can kind of make a mess of things for him. And all Jesus does is he takes a hard question and he simply answers it honestly. Who would have thought, eh? Sometimes we get so stirred up and twisted in knots over, how are we going to answer this? Well, with the truth. <laughs> That's all. So Jesus looks at these supposedly spiritual leaders and teachers, and he says, well, hold it, haven't you read this? And he just walks through, and he just reads it through and, and leads them through. Here's what God has said. And he says, God put people together permanently. That's why, the way he worked it. And they said, so then why did Moses, look at the way they asked, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? As though Moses came up with the idea for divorce and he started thinking this would be a good thing to, to get going. And Jesus simply answers and says, pay attention. 
that's not what was going on. Moses formalized and kind of legalized this process because of the hardness of your hearts. And what was happening back in Moses' day was guys were, were saying, you know, you, you used to look younger. Like her. So I think I'll just turn you loose and I think I'm going to go marry her. And the whole thing was guys were just setting their wives aside for any reason at all and in setting them free. But they had no way to make a living. They had nowhere to live. They had nowhere to support themselves. Nothing. They were just these social outcasts now. They had no way of proving that they even been legally divorced or anything. They were just these now unattached women floating out there and, and they were cast aside and discarded by society. And Moses said, that's how you're treating people? I don't think so. And so he put some things in place, and we don't have time to get into that. And Matthew 19, the intention of Matthew 19 is not to tell us everything that the scriptures say about divorce. It's to show us how Jesus is dealing with this particular question in this moment with these particular men. And so he turns them back and he says, look at the hardness of your hearts. That's why Moses allowed this. And Jesus, by simply telling them the truth and telling them why people reject the truth, he simply exposes their hearts. You guys are in the middle of all of this. You guys are involved in this. People continue to do this today, and I'm just exposing your heart. Your hard heart towards God and towards others. And so he simply lays out the truth and uncovers this. And as he does, and he, he reminds them that, that marriage was to be a, a permanent thing, and he does say there's an exception here, and we won't, again, we won't get into all of this this morning, but he did say this. He said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Then he gives some further conditions, and so the disciples said to him, hold it. <laughs> if that's the case, it's probably better not to marry at all. Like, if I just can't walk away from this for any reason on any given day. And you know what Jesus says? Yeah, you're right. It is better for you not to marry than for you to go into this looking for a way out. For you to go in thinking, well, I can always get out of this if things don't go my way. That's not what's going on here. And so Jesus answers them this way. Pastor Andy did a good job a few weeks ago of speaking on the issue of marriage from Ephesians 5. And again, we won't get into all the, the issues surrounding the topic of divorce this morning. We'll simply put it this way. They came to stir up controversy with a hard question. Jesus just told them the truth showed them why people had rejected the truth because of their hard hearts and says, so where are you? Are you one of the ones with the hard heart or are you one? And that's where he left these men as they asked him this question. Hmm. Today, people are going to ask you tough questions. Have you ever been asked a controversial question? In a crowd? At one of those moments in the gathering when just every other conversation ends at the right time? And everyone in the room hears what you've been asked? Oh, you'll love those moments? Wow. Wow. Well, that happens. And it might happen at a family gathering. It might happen at school. It might happen at work this week. It could happen talking to your neighbor over the back fence. It could happen anywhere. But people will come to you. And sometimes they'll be looking 
to create some controversy and make you look bad. You don't really believe that. The Bible doesn't really teach that. Like, you're not really on board with that, are you? And they'll do that to you. It could be the question of divorce. It could be abortion today. It could be same-sex marriage and those kinds of things. Uh, we, have Cana- we have a Canadian political party that says if you do not support abortion and same-sex marriage, you may, not, you may not run as one of our candidates. You may not be one of our... And so people, that's coming up with our election. People are asking those types of controversial questions again. Put people in a corner. What are you going to do? Follow the example of Jesus. Simply calmly, kindly, tell them the truth. And show them why people tend to reject that. And then let them stand there and consider, wow, am I one of the ones rejecting this because of my hard heart? (laughs) Or am I going to reconsider what the scripture has to say? Hard questions simply need honest answers. They came to Jesus to stir up controversy, and instead he just turned it back to them and said, where are you guys in this, and why? Interesting. Well, they came to create controversy. Someone else came, and they were kind of fishing for a compliment. Let's take a look at verse 16. Shortly after this, Behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, Yes, I have kept all of these. So what do I still lack? What's next? What's the second part of this test? And Jesus said to him, If you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In this young man's question and answer exchange with Jesus, he may well have come with with a sincerity that said, I really want to know. But the impression is left here for us that clearly he also was asking, maybe so, not so Jesus would look bad, that was the other guys, but maybe so that he would look good. It sounds like he came expecting some affirmation. What do I have to do for eternal life? Well, keep the commands. Okay, I've done that. What else? And he's expecting Jesus to say, nothing. Everyone look at this guy. He's nailed it. He's in. This is fantastic. He's kind of the local standard. This is what we've been shooting for all along. The rest of you would do better to be a little more like him. That's the hint we get as we read this encounter, that maybe that's part of what it was. Some of the other Gospels also, in their report of this, make it sound like, well, maybe there was also this mix of, I do, I do want to know, and I do think I've done okay. It's possible he wanted the truth, but it's clear that he wasn't willing to face the truth. So as Jesus lists the commands for him, Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? (laughs) 
That's a long list. Where should I start? Which ones do I have to keep? And so Jesus lists the commands. But you know what I find interesting? When you read the commands that Jesus lists for him here, he says nothing about uh, loving the Lord your God. He says nothing about having no other gods, no graven images. He says nothing about coveting. He doesn't talk about any of those. He talks about the others on the list. Why? Oh, because those are coming. (laughs) Those are all coming. I'm going to start with this kind of external standard of how we interact with others. How's that going for you? Oh, fantastic. I can put on quite a show. I can govern myself and my interactions with people on a pretty good level, morally speaking. And Jesus says, okay, let's go a little deeper. You serious here? You're an up-and-comer here. You've got quite a collection of stuff. Here's what we're going to do. Go get rid of it all. Not just that one collection in the basement. Not just that one uh, extra car in the driveway. I want you to get rid of it all. I want you to give it to the poor. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to then come follow me. You can almost hear the guy swallow. (laughs) Pardon? Seriously? You see, eternal life was the question, and the answer is always the same. It's surrender. It isn't about you looking good and you looking good enough that God will approve of you and if you look good enough for God to approve of you, you're going to look great in front of other people too. That's not what this is about. It's about surrender. It's about repenting. Turning your back on doing things your way and simply following Christ and walking in His direction. It's about letting go of all those things that you treasure and emptying your hands so that you can take up your cross and follow him. And his final final response to Jesus is simply this. He hangs his head and he walks away sadly, sorrowful. Why? Oh, he had so many great things. And the price, price is just too high. I came here this morning thinking I I was going to be in, but now when I see how high the price is, I'm going to have to just leave it and walk away. His final response exposed the reality of his heart. Let's read this together from Matthew 6. Do we have Matthew 6 this morning, 19 to 21? Let's read this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus just exposed for him where his treasure was. And that's where his heart was firmly planted. Hard question. Honest answer. Mark chapter 10 tells us that that before Jesus gave him that final answer, he said, I've kept all of these. Is there anything else? Mark says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. (laughs) Ah, man, you, you say you want this so badly. And he loved him. And sometimes we think if we love people, we don't tell them the truth. We talk like that sometimes, don't we? 
we love people, we won't tell them the truth because we want to soften things and make it easy for them. That's not really loving people. That's deceiving people. Jesus looked at him and he loved him and then he told him the truth. You've still got your hands firmly wrapped around some things that you are trusting in and that you love more than me. And it's about loving God first and foremost above everything else and trusting me and following me. And it's not about feeding your appetites. It's about emptying your hands, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. And Jesus laid out the truth for him. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. And then Jesus watched him walk away. And he let him go. How many times would we say, whoa, whoa, hold it, just a second, just a second, don't go. Um, maybe we can just soften us a little bit and then you, you'll stay. And maybe we'll just adjust a few things so that you'll, 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 this will still sound good to you. And, and we'll change the story a little bit so that you'll plug in and, and then they'll maybe like us. And all we've done is win people to us and not to Christ. And they're still lost. But now, they're religious and lost. And you think it was tough to reach them before? We can't do that. Jesus was given a tough question. Am I in? Jesus gave him the hard truth, the honest truth. No. Because you're still clinging to everything else and you won't surrender and follow me. He loved him. He wasn't nasty. But he told him the truth. And then he let him walk away. Why? Because the truth isn't negotiable. The gospel isn't something we debate. It's something Jesus came and declared. And he let him go. Hmm. Let's read Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You see how Jesus didn't say, hey, here's a nice approach, here's something you might want to consider. You want to be my disciple? Must, must, must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It is about every day saying, today is not about me, today is about Jesus. And Jesus died for me that I could be right with God. And I am dead and gone and I now, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Jesus Christ now lives in me, right? Galatians 2. And I am now alive in Christ and I follow Him and it's all about Him, not about me. Hmm. This man's hands were full and he wouldn't let go so that they were free to take up and carry his cross. And that was the choice with which he was presented. And he asked a hard question, he got an honest answer, and then he walked away. Today, people might ask you a question. Well, I'm good enough, right? I mean, I don't go to church as much as you do. I don't, you know, I, we do different things. We talk a little differently, all those kind of things. But I mean, generally speaking, I'm not as bad as the guy that made the front page of the Windsor Star, right? Like, I'm doing okay. I'm good, right? I'm in. 
my children. I mean, they, yeah, they don't like Jesus, but they're, they're nice people. They're in, right? My grandkids, they don't, they don't understand the gospel. They've never responded to Jesus, but you know what? They're good in school, and they're nice and respectful, so they're in, right? And we're going to get these questions. And we need to simply share the honest answers. I'll tell you again, there are people who will say to you, well, I wouldn't believe in a God who would or would not do whatever. And all I say to you today is this. Whenever you make one of those statements, you have not enlightened us any at all about who God is. You've just told us more about yourself. And more about what you think isn't what we need. More about what I think isn't what we need. We just need more about what God has to say. And so we've got to be careful as we walk through these conversations. This guy came fishing for compliments. Some people came trying to create controversy. Hard questions. Jesus gave them the honest answer. Why? Because the truth is just too important to play with. Because eternity matters and people matter and God matters and His Word matters and it's not ours to change. Hmm. Where's my friend Aaron? Come on up, Aaron. Aaron is going to come and help me out today with a little illustration. And she's going to do this because if I was going to do this, um, you would all miss lunch. You're hoping you can do this. Your, your chances are much better than mine. I have a needle here. Right? And I have thread. None of this is from my collection. All right. So I'm going to get Aaron to simply thread this needle. And we're done. Piece of cake, right? That was a good, that was a big hole. That was a nice big needle, a nice small thread. Well, thank you. Well, Aaron, come on back, come on back. I was going to, oh, put all this back here. I got another needle. Now I'm getting caught up in needles. I got another needle here. All right, I'm going to get you to do it again, okay? So what I want you to do... I want you to take this camel and I just want you to thread the camel through the needle. It's not going to happen? You, Janet told me you were Janet told me you were good at this kind of stuff. Why won't it go through? Too big. It's just too big. Too different shape. Okay. It's just not going to happen. Okay, thanks anyway, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Jesus didn't just leave this conversation that way for his disciples. He didn't just leave it hanging there with this guy walking away. As this guy walked away, Jesus kept talking. And Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You can imagine the confusion. 
going through the minds of the disciples, it was probably evident on their faces as they stood there and this guy came up. This rich, young guy, educated lawyer, probably heading towards Pharisee, like this guy, he's, and he wants to come be with us? Like this changes everything. Have you heard people talk like that sometimes? That person has so much money. Oh, if only they would come to Christ. Boy, what God could do for the kingdom with their resources. <laughs> As though their resources are any match for God's resources. And the only thing the kingdom needs is one more, one more wealthy person and then we're good. Or if just one more athlete or singer or actor would come to Christ. Do you know how many people would come to Jesus if that one guy... Really? That's the problem is God just needs one more famous person on his team? That's not it. That's not it. And they're looking at this guy walk away and they're like, what is going on? And Jesus turns to them and he, he says, guys, I don't think you realize how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And then as rabbis would in their teaching style of that day, he repeats himself for the emphasis and he adds to it. And he says, not only is it difficult, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a number of years ago, one of these urban legends came out and sometimes people come up with stuff so that we try and sound smarter than we are. And like, oh, now we know this, and now all this makes sense. And people started talking about, oh, in Jerusalem, they had these big gates. And then at night, they'd close the big gates. And oh, they had these tiny gates. And they called this tiny, mysterious gate, hidden somewhere on the wall of Jerusalem, the eye of the needle. And when they'd come with their camels and caravans, they couldn't get in. It was too late. Can't open that. It's a security risk. You're going to have to unload. You're going to have to squeeze your camel through, you know, one nostril at a time, one hump at a time, get it through, carry it all in, and reload it and everything else like that. That, first of all, no such gate existed. No archaeologist, no historian has ever said that that is true. Hasn't been found. And we know that that wasn't what Jesus was saying because of the disciples' response. Jesus didn't say, boy, is that inconvenient. <laughs> boy, that's, you might just want to wait a while till the gate opens up in the morning. That's not what he said. He was talking about the largest animal they knew and the smallest opening they were aware of. And he said, try that on. He was talking about a camel. Now, we just had this little goofy stuffed camel. I was looking for a picture of Mike on the camel, and I couldn't find it. But they're big. It's the biggest animal they knew. And Jesus said, take one of those and shove it through here. That'll be easier than having a rich person enter the, the kingdom. Wow. Are you serious? Yes, I'm, I'm dead serious, Jesus says. That's what it is. Well, then who can be saved? Like, you're making this sound difficult. Who then can be saved, Jesus? And Jesus said it's not difficult. It's impossible. What? We've been doing all of this for something that's impossible? Yes, sir. It's completely impossible. Why? Well, the problem for this man was he trusted in his wealth. He treasured his wealth. And he would not trust in Jesus. He would not let go of it all. 
it's not just the rich who have a difficulty entering the kingdom, but in this instance, because of this man, Jesus points out that the rich have a great difficulty entering the kingdom. Why? Try and convince convince someone who's sure they have everything that they have a need. No, I'm good. Anything I need, I'll just go out and get. Anything I need, I'll go out and get. Any any treatment I need, I'll just fly around the world. I'll pay for it. I can I can I got it covered. I I don't need anything. And they trust in that. And this man, he trusted in his riches. That's what he clung to. And he wouldn't let go to take up his cross and follow Jesus. Now, some of us are sitting here this morning going, well, Steve, that's great because I find this very affirming this morning. I myself am not rich. (laughs) William Boyce put it this way. He wrote this prayer. Dear Lord, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice. But it has set me thinking, no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car have any surgery he needed, turn on a light, buy penicillin, hear a pipe organ, watch TV, wash dishes in running water, type a letter, mow a lawn, fly in an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or talk on the phone. If he was rich, then what in the world am I? Interesting. Interesting. What are we trusting in? Well, it's not my money because I don't have much, Steve. It's just I don't have I don't have anything to cling to there with finances. Okay, so what is your problem? If it's not money, maybe it's money because you're so worried that you don't have any that that's what you're so focused on grasping. What, what is your problem? What are you trusting in and clinging to that you won't surrender in order to follow Jesus? Well, Steve, I want, I want sexual freedom. I mean, it is my body after all. Well, as I've said on several occasions to people, if it's your body, you're not a follower of Christ. What do you mean? You can't say this. Sure I can. The Word of God tells us in, in Corinthians, if you're a follower of Christ, your body was bought at a price. And what a price. So it's not your own. God bought it and he's using it as a temple for his Holy Spirit. So that sounds like that changes the equation to me, doesn't it? Maybe it's alcohol or some other uh, substance that, well, no, I, hey, I've got the right to let loose and party a bit and just let go of control of my mind and my. Really? You're going to cling to that and not follow Jesus? Maybe for you it's control over your decisions and your standards and you don't want to let go of that. I'm not going to be dictated to by, by anything or anybody. Maybe for you it's, it's that you're worshipping your, your grandchildren or your children. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, an unwillingness to be accountable. I have a relative who has told me They are involved in some incredibly dark, dark, evil, spiritual things. And he actually looked me in the eye and told me, but this allows me to be spiritual with no accountability. 
maybe that's maybe that's you maybe it's a hobby or a job maybe it's your version of the truth or your version of the gospel that you get to fashion however you please what is it that you won't let go of in order to take up your cross And before we write off whether it's possessions or greed or any of these other issues, it could be any of these issues. I'll use greed as an example because of the text here this morning. Zogby recently conducted a large benchmark poll in which respondents identified greed and materialism as the number one most urgent problem in American culture. Greed and materialism as the, most, as the number one most urgent problem in American culture. In a 2014 Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair poll, 78% of Americans disagreed with the famous Gordon Gecko quote, greed is good. A recent poll of economist readers asked, what is the deadliest sin And greed rank number one? It seems like people in a culture very much like our own see greed as a major problem. However, Although everyone thinks greed is a terrible problem, further down the survey, when there were questions about what their greatest problem was, and given a list, greed was always on the bottom. You see, it's everyone else's problem. <laughs> it's just not mine. Well, as Tim Keller likes to say, uh, greed hides itself from its victims. So whatever your issue is, maybe you think, well, that's not my issue. Well, maybe, maybe it is. I encourage you to ask God what the issue might be for you. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Jesus, are you saying that financial wealth is not, after all, the blessing of God? It is not the indication that I'm in and I'm God's favored one? Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he said, but Jesus looked at them and he said this, with man this is, say it with me, difficult. No. With man this is complicated. No. With man this is impossible. Impossible. Impossible is a, a really interesting word. When you look that up in the original language in which Jesus was talking, do you know what it means? Cannot ever be done. <laughs> Impossible. We don't get to play with that word either. He says, with man it is impossible. Aren't you glad the sentence doesn't end there? Jesus didn't say, you're right guys, shut it down, it's over. Let's just walk away and go home. He said, with man this is impossible, but here's the gospel, the good news of the impossible. With God all things are possible. Nobody can do this. Only God can. And so with us, with me, with you, with our friends, with our families, it is impossible to enter the kingdom unless God does something. It's impossible. And so we come to those we know, we come to those we love. I come to you this morning and simply share the truth of the word of God. That's all. 
I simply share the truth of the Word of God. I call you to consider it and respond to it. We tell our friends, we tell our families, we tell our co-workers and our classmates, but this is the truth and I urge you, I urge you to check into this and respond to it because Jesus is in fact your only hope. And we must come to God on his terms. And we share the truth and then we pray. We fast, we pray some more, and we lean on and call for the work of the Spirit of God that only He can do. Jesus Himself said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father draws Him. And we come to the point where we realize this relative of whom I spoke just a few moments ago, He does not need me to repeat the gospel to Him one more time. He does not need me to get out a piece of paper and write charts and graphs and show him illustrations of what the gospel's all about. He could probably do a pretty decent job of it. He grew up as exposed to this stuff as, as I did. He, he understands. The problem is, with no repentance, there's no entry into the kingdom. With no surrender, there's no entry into the kingdom. Without emptying our hands and taking up our cross and following Jesus, there's no entry into the kingdom. Jesus says that. So what does he need? He needs the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. And that's to remove the blinders from hearts, minds, eyes, and lives and say, I'm talking about you. And so that's what we do. We pray. When the opportunity comes up to share some more, we do, but we pray. Friends, people entering the kingdom of God is absolutely 100% impossible unless God does something. With God, all things are possible. And here's the good news of the kingdom is that God has done this. Has God shown you your absolute need of Him? You need to repent and surrender and turn everything and cling to your, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow Jesus. Has he shown you that? Wow, three? Has he shown you that? Has God brought you into his kingdom? Anyone else here? Yes. He has done this and we thank him. Not only has he done this, he still can. Do you believe that? And I'm here to tell you this morning, He still will. He still will. Do you believe that? And so we take ourselves and we come to God in complete surrender. We surrender to Jesus, we take up our cross and we follow Him. And that's what we urge others to do. And I ask you two questions as we close here this morning. Number one, are you in the kingdom? Or are you just gathered at church here this morning like a group of camels looking at a needle? Going, that looks interesting. Or are you in the kingdom? When it comes to others, those people on your hearts and minds, their names are on your head and your, their faces are rolling through your minds right now. The people in your life who need Christ. Have you, have you shared the gospel with them? 
And now are you praying for the Spirit of God to do what only He can do? Or are we arguing and pushing and shoving and fighting and trying to force a camel through the eye of the needle this morning? Instead of leading them to the truth and calling out for God, who alone can do the impossible. God can save. He can forgive. He can grant life. And He can bring people into His kingdom. That's why He sent His Son. That is His desire. And He alone can do it. He has done it. And He will do it. He will do it. But He'll do it on His terms. And He chooses to involve us in the process so often. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege. If you are here and you have never totally surrendered to Jesus, oh, I urge you. I urge you. Don't play games. Don't come and see if Jesus agrees with you so you look good. Come and see what God has to say and surrender to Him. Because He is the only one who is good. And if there are people in your life for whom you're praying and you're heavy hearted and you're broken and you're crying out to God that that they would come to Christ. Share the truth. Share the truth. Call them to consider it. And then let's just get on our knees and stay there. And ask God by His Spirit to do what only He can do. If I'm trying to do it, I'm trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. But when God's doing it, by His Spirit, He pulls away all the blinders and He says, Come on, my hand's extended to you today. Let's go. Let's go. Father, would you do your work first in our hearts and in our lives? Show us what it means to surrender to you and to follow you and to walk with you and to take up our cross. Would you just show us that? Father, would that be true of each one of us gathered here that we we would simply surrender to Christ empty-handed, come and turn and follow you? And Father, we ask... We ask that you would show us the reality of our need for a Savior. For forgiveness and life. And would you call forth a response that only you can call for and that only you can bring. And as we leave this place and we go and we interact with our families and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our, our teammates and our classmates and whoever else we're encountering... Oh, would you give us opportunities, even this week, maybe to answer some difficult questions, but to simply answer them with the truth. Help us to point people to you and to your word. Help us to clearly call them to consider consider the truth and what this means. And then would you plant them on our hearts and our minds and not let us walk away. May we continue to call out to you. And may you do in their lives what only you can do. By your Spirit, would you turn those lights on and remove those blinders and bring those hearts and those lives from death to life, from darkness to light. 
as only you can. And when you do, when you do, oh, keep us from boasting and being proud for maybe having been a part in the process. Help us to simply give you all the honor and glory because you're the one who's done it. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.